0: Our Gospel lesson this morning is taken from the Gospel according to John, chapter 20. But before we read that passage, I want to kind of give a little bit of context that may help us understand more about the text itself. There are several bits of information that the Gospel writer gives us before entering into the Easter story. We are told by the Gospel writer of John But at the crucifixion, when Jesus was crucified, there was present with him his mother and his mother's sister. Also there was a woman by the name of Mary, who was the wife of Clopas. Mary Magdalene was there, as well as a disciple, we are told, whom Jesus loved, presumably He was of the age that he was young enough that he was not perceived as a threat. Maybe he was not able to grow facial hair yet. So he was a young teenager and likely. The Gospel of John also tells us that after Jesus died, Joseph, Arimathea, and Nicodemus were the two men who took Jesus' body down and prepared Jesus' body for burial and then laid Jesus' body in a newly hewn tomb in a garden. This is important because Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And when we read the Gospels, we know that the Pharisees were one of the enemies of Jesus. Joseph Arimathea was a member of the council, the ruling class in Jerusalem, also one of the enemies. Of Jesus. We also need to remember that when Nicodemus is introduced in the Gospel of John, he meets Jesus under the cover of darkness. And we are also told in the Gospel of John that Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple of Jesus in secret because of his fear for the Jewish leaders. These are important pieces of information that John points out. These aren't trivial matters. Uh, For John when he writes his gospel he lets us know that bad things happen in the dark in the cover of darkness faithlessness happens in the dark Nicodemus visits Jesus at night in the dark Joseph of Arimathea a religious leader is afraid of other religious leaders and keeps his relationship with Jesus a secret. These are the two men who take care of Jesus' body for burial. The women who were there, Mary Magdalene and the other Marys were there. They saw what took place. Mary Magdalene had been a disciple of Jesus for quite some time. She was listed as an early follower of Jesus. And she followed him all the way to the cross. She watched him die. And she probably followed his body to the tomb. Two days later, more than two days later, on the third day... in the morning we are told while it was still dark Mary Magdalene makes her way to the garden tomb so keep these bits of information in your mind as we hear this story the first Easter told by the gospel writer of John I invite us down to stand as we are able Not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God may be seated. Now, we used to play this silly little game when Leanne and I were dating and um, were first married. We would gather with her family down at Orange Beach in the condo and, and the nieces and nephew would all gather around and we would play this game called Spoons. Have you ever heard of Spoons? I've never been much on games, really, but this is an interesting game. If you're not familiar with it, the the basic premise is you have a deck of cards and however many people play, let's say there are six, you gather in a circle and if there are six people playing, you put five spoons in the middle and arrange them so everyone can reach the spoons. Remember there are five spoons, six people. And the object is to, to have four of a kind, so you start with four cards and the dealer begins passing a card around the circle. And you keep passing the cards, trying to collect your four of a kind. And when you have four of a kind, you reach and get a spoon. And so the first person reaches to get a spoon, that's the cue. Everybody needs to get a spoon. And who doesn't get a spoon is out of the game. So you can imagine, when someone makes a, reaches for a spoon... It's pandemonium. It's chaos. There are bodies flying on top of the spoons. So we had this one niece who was particularly good and really enjoyed this game. And when she would arrive first at the four of a kind, she would just very slyly reach and slide a spoon away from the stack. And everybody was focused on their cards and never saw the spoon move. Until someone notices there's one less spoon in the middle. And they just make a grab and then chaos ensues. This story about the resurrection has some similarities. This story, we would think of the resurrection, the greatest moment in the history of the world. The the pivotal moment of our faith. We would think it would be lightning bolts and thunder, clouds opening, trumpets blasting, hosts of heavenly angels descending. But it's not. It happens almost quietly, almost in secret. A very tender and fragile secret. We have... Mary Magdalene, who has witnessed all of these things that Jesus has said and done, and she has witnessed his death. She has witnessed these two religious leaders who are part of the enemies of Jesus, who had Jesus, or instrumental in Jesus, being put to death. She arrives at this tomb in the cover of darkness to see what's happened all of this stuff is welling up in Mary Magdalene. All of it. All of her anxiety, her concerns, her fears, her grief, it's all welling up. and she just wants to get to this tomb, this place, and just to see, to make sure everything is as it should be. And when she arrives, her worst nightmare, her worst Fear has apparently occurred. The the stone has been rolled away from the tomb. And we're told she turns and runs back to Simon Peter and this other disciple. And she tells them they've taken his body. They've taken our Lord. And we don't know where he is. What a powerful moment. She comes in the dark. Sees a darkened tomb. And flees. Then we're told that these two disciples, upon hearing Mary Magdalene's word, run this foot race back to the tomb, back to this garden, to see for themselves if this is actually true. The other disciple, presumably a little younger, arrives at this tomb first. But he doesn't go in. And then Simon Peter arrives and goes right in and sees these linen wrappings and this face cloth that would have covered Jesus' face and kept his mouth closed. And Peter leaves without a word, without a thought. And the other disciple sees the linen wrappings and sees the cloth, and we're told he believes. That's act one of this play. We have three disciples, three followers of Jesus Christ who have heard, seen, felt, feared the worst. And they arrive at this tomb to find exactly what they expected to find, their worst fear. The body was not there. Someone has moved it, or somebody has moved it, and we don't know where it is. Mary Magdalene runs to her friends. Simon Peter leaves with no word, no indication of belief. And the other disciple, we are told he believes. He sees these linen cloths, and he believes. We don't know what he believes, Maybe he believes the truth that the body's not there. That is, the tomb is indeed empty. The scriptures tell us that, as of yet, they didn't know the scriptures. They didn't know about the resurrection, it hadn't been revealed to them yet. That ends the first act. And we have these three responses. To this very fragile, tender, quiet miracle. The greatest miracle of all time. A miracle that will change the world and change lives. The second act begins when we find Mary Magdalene lingering at the tomb. Lingering just to kind of figure out. Maybe somebody will pass by that will tell her. Maybe, maybe she overlooked. Maybe something will happen that will tell her what's going on. But she's grieving. She's still caught up in this anxiety and this fear. And probably a little anger now because the body has, is absolutely gone. And she has two more witnesses to that fact. And when she looks in, there are these two beings. These two angels who ask her some questions. And then when she turns to see the gardener, she just wants the body back. And when the gardener calls her by name, she recognizes Jesus' voice, just as he said she would, that the sheep will recognize the voice of their shepherd, the good shepherd. she clings. She wants to embrace and hold on to Jesus for what he was before the crucifixion. But that's all been left. It's been left and folded up in those death clothes and linen wrappings in the tomb. Something new is happening now. Something grand, something powerful, something tender and fragile, but more powerful than anything we can imagine. This is Easter. And Jesus tells her to go and tell my friends, tell my brothers, that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And now we can imagine, we can imagine the proclamation, the exclamation, the the energy in her voice, the confidence that indeed Jesus is not in the tomb, but he's alive and is with them for a little longer. What a powerful moment. And there's something in these three responses on that first Easter that speaks to all of us. We can find ourselves in those three disciples. Do we arrive at our old life, expecting the old life on Easter morning? And when we don't find what we expect, we run in fear? Or maybe... We're like the two men who show up and we find exactly what we've been told and we don't know what to do with it. And we leave quietly and return home. Or maybe we're like the other disciple and we just believe that something's happened. Something unexpected. Neither good nor bad. Just different. The tomb is empty. It shouldn't be. How do we look at our old lives? That's the question of Easter. And the perspective of Easter is that something indeed has changed and will change the world and people's lives forever and for the good. This seemingly fragile and tender secret We are told to proclaim as the gospel, the truth. To proclaim it to the world as best we can. In all of its mystery, in all of its tenderness, in all of its intimacy, in all of its power. Because we know that in that second act, when Jesus speaks to Mary, it's an intimate, powerful act. And she responds. And we know that later in the gospel, that Jesus will again visit and speak with his disciples. And Peter and the other disciple will have their chance. And they too will respond in that intimate relationship with Christ. The risen Christ. But today, on Easter know this, that in this tender and in this fragile and powerful message, this powerful act, miracle by God, it's for us. Wherever we are and for whatever we're facing, all that in this life can be old. All that's in our past life is history. And from Easter forward is the eternal. And we're invited. We're invited by Christ at the tomb and at the front door and on the beachfront in our bedrooms and in our kitchens to respond to that intimate fragile and tender and powerful relationship. That's Easter. As I think about this Easter message, is this wonderful little poem by an Anglican priest. His name is R.S. Thomas. And he writes this poem about the resurrection and finding that empty tomb and what it can mean for his life, what it has meant for his life, and what it can mean for our lives, I invite us to hear this piece of Thomas's poem. He writes, there have been times when after long on my knees in a cold chancel, a stone has rolled from my mind, and I have looked in and seen the old questions lie folded and in a place by themselves like the piled grave clothes of love's risen body. Whatever we face in this life, whatever we have faced in this life, know this, that on Easter and with the resurrection, our lives are changed for the good. The world is being changed for the good. As we proclaim, as we proclaim the resurrection in all of its power, in all of its tenderness, and in all of its quietness, in all of its intimacy, the resurrection is for each and every one of us. And that's the power of Easter. In the name of the Father,